you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, life coach and six-time New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Ianla Van Zant, talks to me about healing work and living life in full bloom. The world knows Dr. Ianla Van Zant as a masterful spiritual teacher and prolific author. But in our conversation, she reminded me that she's also always been a student. With all she's accomplished, Dr. Ianla says she's still learning to embrace the full power of who she is. I'm always so conscious and careful, mindful, if you will, not to get into the ego trip of I am Ianla Van Sant. You know, hold the door for me, peel my grapes, whatever, you know. I'm always so mindful not to get into that because it's really not about me, it's about the gift and the work that I've been entrusted with. But you can play that down too far, too. I can play that down too far. Hi, Miss Yanla. Welcome to the pod. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am, here's the thing. I am so excited because the ways in which you have inspired me in my life are just, I, I don't even have enough words. You are such a pillar to me of excellence, of honesty, of truth. And it it truly is an absolute honor to get here, to be here and have a conversation with you today. Uh, normally we start with how I met the guest. And I don't know if you remember, but we met in the airport in 2018. Yeah. You remember? I didn't know what year it was. I remember we met in the airport. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so hoping you would remember. Yes. <laughs> but I, well, I was we were there uh doing uh some press. I'm from the Washington DC area, but um we, I was there with a the couple of castmates doing some press for dear white people at the time and we just happened like you know, be headed to the escalator at the same time. And we just had to stop you. You were so kind and so loving and really poured into us. Uh, and I just want to say thank you. <laughs> Truly, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you for dear white people. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I know I miss it. Okay, so we're going to start with some icebreaker questions. Are you in? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. If your personality 
was the color, what color would it be? Yellow. Mm, tell me why. Bright, sunny, warm. Warm, mm. I think would be the first thing, warm. Yeah, you are warm. I like that. Do you um, have a word of the year? Do you start your year and kind of give it a word? Every year I have a word. Okay. What's, what's been your word for this year? This year I had two, two words. Okay. <laughs> full bloom. Full bloom were my words for 2023. Okay. And what got you there? Um, recognizing that as big as I was, I was still playing small. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey there. We're VibeCheck, and we are working on a special series called Hey Sis, brought to you by Ulta Beauty, where we'll be in conversation with inspiring Black women creators. In this series, we'll be talking about all things Black, Black joy, Black beauty, and Black stories. And Ulta Beauty is celebrating Black-owned and founded brands, brands like Curl Mix, Undefined Beauty, Bevel, which we all use here to shave, and the legendary Pat McGrath Labs, who's having such a moment right now. So head to your local Ulta Beauty store or Ulta.com to shop your fave Black-owned and founded brands and check out Hasis, a Vibe Check series. You can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, HBCU fam. Get ready to turn up the energy. McDonald's and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund have $1 million in scholarships. At 53 HBCUs for 66 brilliant students. This year, you could be one of them. But time is running out. Did we mention the $1 million in scholarships? Apply by March 27th at tmcf.org. But, okay, so tell me about the moment that it hit you, that you realized, okay, I'm I'm playing small. Mm. I don't know if it was one moment or if it was a collection of moments. Um, and it kind of comes on the heel of, it always shocks me when I go somewhere and people know who I am. And, you know, they get hysterical and I'm like, I'm just trying to get some lemons, people. Please leave me alone. <laughs> and they're falling out on the floor. They're having a fit. And I just, I'm like, what is this? I haven't been on TV in in three years. What is going on? Mm. And, you know, just with reflection, um, contemplation, uh, I kept hearing, you You still don't know who you are. You really don't know who you are. Mm. And you don't know your place in the world. And I said, okay, because I don't think of me like that. Yeah. I, you know, I see me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not impressed, but (laughs) um, when I sat around, when I sat thinking about it, it's like, okay, where are you not showing up as who you are in the world? Where I need to be showing up as, you know, the elder, queen, wise Mm. woman teacher, and I don't. Mm. I love that you've discovered this and accepted this, though, because, you know, you when you said, you know, I haven't been on TV in three years. I get that. I, I, I really get that. But I think what's most important, and I think what's very special about you, is that um, it's it's what people are left with after experiencing you. That lingers for a lifetime. There's there's moments that I've that I've witnessed with you that will stay with me. 
You know what I mean? And, and and there are, that is a special power that I'm so happy that you are embracing in this season of your life and in this year of your life. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, and this is what, what I understood, I'm always so conscious and careful, mindful, if you will, not to get into the ego trip of I am me, I'm the Van Sant. Mm-hmm. You know, I you know, hold the door for me, peel my grapes, whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm always so mindful not to get into that because it's really not about me. It's about the gift and the work that I've been entrusted with. But you can play that down too far, too. I can play that down too far. And I think that's what I've done, um, you know. It, and it's really more an internal thing than it is an external yeah. thing. Um where I was just, oh, I, I, you know, I shouldn't do that, or I can't do that, or, and it was, I'm like, yeah, you can, mm. you know, not only your age, but because of your, um, your worth and your value, and and what you've earned. <laughs> I love that. You know, mm. When did it happen? I'll tell you when it happened. Yes. Okay. I went to the nail salon. I I go to the same nail salon. I've been going there for 20 years. And I usually go early in the morning because really it kind of disrupts people more than it disrupts me when they see me. And so I was in the nail salon and I had a noon appointment and everybody and their sister was in there. And this woman was sitting across from me and she kept looking at me. She kept looking at me and um, she didn't say anything. Uh, And then I guess when she was finished, she was leaving. She came back over. She got down on her knees in front of me, which was shocking. And then, uh, and she was a white woman, a young white woman. And she said, you saved my life. She said, you saved my life. And the the least I can do for you is to pay for your nails today. Mm. And I immediately said, oh, you don't have to do that. She said, oh, yes, I do. She said, yes, I do. I would love to leave my card here and pay for your nails for the rest of your life. And in my mind, I'm like, what is wrong with her? For the rest (laughs) of your life? That's what she said. She said, I would leave my card here and pay for your nails for the rest of my life. Mm. She said, because you just don't understand that I'm literally here on my knees. Now she's weeping. And she said, you literally don't understand that I am here on my knees breathing today because of something I heard you say. And I couldn't receive it. I was like still wanting to tell her, no, you don't have to do it. And then I heard, why are you playing so small? Yeah, you saved her life. Good. Mm, <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm happy. I'm happy you shared the moment because the moment was a moment. <laughs> but you know, again, it was the culmination of the many moments. Mm-hmm. And that, that thing, because I believe that if you don't get it, the universe will keep bringing it to yes. you, good or bad. Yes. It will keep bringing it to you. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Let's start at the beginning. You were born in the back of a taxi. Can you yeah. tell us the story? And in addition to telling us the story, I believe that your entrance into the world means something. And so what oh, do you absolutely. think now uh that you're an adult and have lived life that your interest into the world meant and why you came in the world well, that way. Clearly that I would really always be moving. 
Mm. <laughs> oh, so it wasn't just that I was in the back of a taxi cab. I was under an elevated train. I was born in the cab under an elevated train because the hospital is located on a street where the elevated train, the Long Island Railroad, runs there. Mm -hmm. And so I'd always be moving. I was born in the back of a taxi cab because I'm always ahead of my time, always. I've seen it in my life. I've experienced it. Um, you know, I didn't get into the delivery room. I came in the taxi cab. Um, and I'm always ahead of my time. I remember when I first went to television and did what's called the Yamla show. I remember what I wanted to do. They told me you can't do that. Nobody wants to sit around and listen to problems all day. Nobody, you can't talk to people about that. And then Dr. Phil did it for 20 years, but he's a white man. Mm. I'm a woman of color and, you know, immediately limited in what I could do. And, and, you know, so they wanted me to do fashion and food and, and, you know, that just, that didn't work out. It did not turn out well for me. Mm. <laughs> so I'm always ahead of my time. But what I lived through and had to live out of was uh, because I was born in the cab, uh, you know, the blood, the whatever else was in there, the cab company sued my parents. And uh, so I was a problem. I'm a problem. Wow. You know, I grew up with that. I grew up hearing that. You've been a problem since the beginning. You know, you you you're expensive. You you cost me money before you could even walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and the way that they experienced that thing about me being born in the cab and then being sued because they couldn't clean the cab. They couldn't get whatever it was yeah. out of there. Look trying to get here. Now, they didn't bother to say that the reason it took me so long to get to the hospital because my mother was drunk mm. and didn't even know she was. They didn't bother to mention that part. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I, it really, the, uh, the story that I had to live out of was far more difficult than the one I had to live into. I had to live into being ahead of my time. I had to live into being always being on the move. But I had to live out of you are a problem. Wow. When when do you first remember um hearing that and how, and how did it make you feel? Well, no, I was young. They've always said it. They always said I don't I don't know how old I was. Mm. I think that uh I didn't realize the problems it was creating to me until I was in my teens, maybe early 20s. And when I look at that as my script, that was my script. I'm a problem. I, you know, I, w I was a problem. I, you know, tried to commit suicide at 13. I was pregnant at 16. I was married at 19. I was a mess. I was a hot A mess. Okay. <laughs> because I am a problem. Mm -hmm. But it was subconscious. It was in my subconscious. So I didn't know that that is the script that I was living out. Um, you know, you're bad, you're wrong, you're a problem, you do everything wrong, you mess up all the time, you know, those things. And it wasn't until I was in my early, like I said, late teens, early 20s, when a book literally fell on my head and hit me, hmm. a book entitled This Thing Called You by Ernest Holmes. And when I read that book, I said, okay, well, what is the script I'm running? And what am, you know, this thing called you? And you're not a problem. You're not uh, a badge. You're not wrong. You are divine, unique, um, 
demonstration, presentation, or whatever you want to call it, expression of God. <laughs> when, when you think about New York, what would you say that Brooklyn gave you? Uh, Brooklyn gave me soul mm. because Brooklyn at that time, and it may still be, I don't, I don't experience it that way now, was a, was a land of culture. I call it the nation of Brooklyn. You know, whether you were in Crown Heights with the Hasidic Jewish community or Bushwick with the Latinos or, you know, uh, Bed-Stuy, do or die Bed-Stuy or Fort Greene with the black folk. You know, it was just every single community had a vibe. It had an energy. It had a feel. It had smells. You know, if you wanted pizza, you know where to go. If you wanted a knish or a hot dog, you knew where to go. Uh, so Brooklyn gave me soul. It gave me culture. And it and it it really it still holds me that way, although, the, you know, the landscape of Brooklyn has changed incredibly. But yeah, mm, that's beautiful. soul. I have so many friends from Brooklyn, and I think that everything you just said, they would all agree with. It's, it's like if you're there's a special there's a heart to Brooklyn. There's a soul to Brooklyn, yeah. like you said, that's, that's very special and unique. Um, so I, lo I love that you said that. You've written an impressive amount of books. And so I want to know, where did your passion or call to writing start? Where, where, did, where did it birth from? Never set out to write a book. Mm. Never. Mm -hmm. My first book, Tapping the Power Within, was a workbook that I did for women who were in a reentry program, moving from public assistance into the work world. And Tapping the Power Within started out as the handouts that I gave them in class. And I put them all together. And years and years and years ago, before we had AI and computers and all of that, you had to go to Kinko's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, if you wanted to copy something. So I went to Kinko's to make a copy of the handouts and a young sister there, Robin, uh, she said, you want to put a cover on this? And I put a cover on it. And, you know, I had my little workbook. And then one day I heard, this is a book. This is a book. And um, a gentleman in the Philadelphia community where I was living at the time, he was a entrepreneur uh, and he I don't remember how I met him or got to him. And I said, you know, I want to publish a book. He said, oh, I have a publishing company. <laughs> so a friend of mine drew the cover and we took it to to Donald and he printed it. And I had a book. It was like 80 pages that I used to sell out of on consignment to the bookstores out of the trunk of my car. And that thing grew like wildfire. People from D.C. were calling me to ask me for it. And I was like, what in the world? And uh, a woman, a publishing agent named Marie Brown, one of the first black female uh, literary agents mm. in the country, in New York City. I don't know how she got the book, but you know, when you're on purpose, miracles happen. Yes. When you're doing what you're supposed to do, you don't have to know it's going to happen. It happens. So she got it. She called me. She sold it to a publisher and we printed it. And about two years, that was in 1988 mm. uh, or 86. In 1988, she called me. She said, Simon & Schuster wants to do a book 
specifically for people of color, helping them deal with stress. Would you be interested? I, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're going to pay, pay <laughs> up front. <laughs> so that's where how Acts of Faith was born. And the way I midwife my books, the way I mid, I, I, I always write to the title. I don't know what the book is in the book, but they'll give me the title. Me too. I'm guided by the title. And then I write what I'm, I download. I just write what they told me, tell me. And then every single book that I've ever written has been written in longhand, uh, two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning when the, when the, when the earth is still and I midwife it. Yeah. Mm. I, I birthed it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ooh. Has there, um, is there one of your books that was like maybe the most difficult to birth? Peace from Broken Pieces Mm. uh, that I wrote after my daughter died um, because it was about my journey from her transition into a place of peace. And it, it was really took me three years to write that book. And I can write a book in three months. Wow. Um, But that was probably the most difficult book that I've ever written. And I didn't want to write it. The way I wrote it was because my brother friend, Tavis Smiley, told me, oh, you're going to write this book. Not only are you going to write it, I'm going to pay for it and publish it. And he did. It doesn't mean it's easy all the time. And some things take a little bit more time and some things, you know, we have to, at the same time that we're creating, we're also working through our own pain, our own struggles. Um, but like you said, when when it's the assignment on your life, when you're, you know, when you're in alignment, you know, you know, you have to do it. And I'm grateful that yeah. you did. I, I really am. <laughs> I have been guided and directed to do three things. Um one is kind of new to me, so I've been challenged. Uh, the first one is I am going to write another book on mothering, called Mothering. You know, I just buried my second daughter. My youngest daughter, Nisa, passed away. Um, and the good news is I knew how to do it this time. Mm. When I lost my first daughter, Jamia, I didn't know how to be a mother and bury a child. I didn't know how to do that. And it almost took me out of here. When Nisa passed, I knew how to do it. I knew how to take care of myself. I knew what I could do, what I couldn't do. 
I knew what to ask for. You know, when Jamia passed, I had to go to the funeral parlor. I had to go to the cemetery. I had to do that. And when Nisa passed, I called. I said, I can't do this. Come do this. Yeah. And I had no qualm about it as her mom that I, I had to do it. I knew when certain things hit me to go somewhere and lay down and not walk around acting like I was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew how to do it the second time. And it didn't make it easier to move through her transition, her death, but it made it easier to move through the process. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, God, I, really? Really? And I remember I called Miss O because I didn't want her to read about it in the, that's the other thing when you're Iyanla Van Zandt, big in the world, people put your business out in the street. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't want her to read about it online. And, and so I called her and I said to her, it's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop me because one of the, biggest thoughts I had to wrestle with was how you can save everybody else in the world and can't save your own child. Mm. And as soon as that thought came in my mind again, I said, Oh, I know how to deal with you. (laughs) I know what to do with you. I'm going to beat you down. You know, get off of me. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going to stop. I must be heading to do something very big that that thought would come in my mind and I'd have to wrestle with that experience again. Um, so I was grateful for that, that I knew how to do it this time. Um, I'm going to, I've been, I'm being guided and directed right now to work with men. I've worked with women for over 40 years. <laughs> I'm done with y'all. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, don't leave us, please. <laughs> but men are in a lot of trouble. Um, and basically because they haven't done the work and they haven't done the work because nobody took the time to teach them how to do it. I'm not talking about men's groups and fathers empowerment. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about soul work because that's what I am. I'm a, I am a soul technician. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to do work with men in 2024 and it's just been coming to me. I mean, I went to change my phone at the AT&T store the other day. And I had the man in there weeping on my on my shoulder. I was like, mm. okay, I got you. Leave me alone already. <laughs> okay. Mm. And the other thing that I've been um I'm being guided to do in 2024 uh is awaken one million people. I want to call one million people into the highest level of consciousness available. Wow. That's, that's the soul work that, that the soul assignments uh, that you're on. I want to, I want to, I want to ask you about motherhood and uh, maybe the greatest lesson that motherhood has taught you over the years. Mm. The greatest lesson motherhood has taught me is I'm not going to get it right and it's okay. Mm. I had three kids, three children. 
uh, all three of them are different, even though two of them were born on the same day at the same time, and they were the same weight and the same length. Oof. My first child, last child, same day, same time, same weight, same length. Wow. Uh, totally different. Totally different people. Totally different people. And my middle daughter. Um, so I didn't get it right with any of them. And it's okay. Mm. And when I say right, meaning I didn't give them everything they needed. I didn't learn it until after they needed it. Who they were, I didn't recognize because I didn't know who I was. Mm. Um, I was a horrible mother. Horrible. I was a great father. Tell me what that I means. Was Mothers nourish and nurture and affirm. Mothers teach. Mm. Mothers hold mothers mm, yeah nourish nurture affirm mothers hold fathers provide fathers protect mm. fathers direct i didn't do i i didn't guide mothers guide there's a distinction there's a distinction between guiding you come let's do this great job you did it yeah now you go ahead. I'm right here. You go. I'm watching you. That's guidance. Mm -hmm. Direction is do this because I said it. Do it. Do it now. That's direction. I was a great director. I was a horrible guide. Wow. I was a good father. I didn't know that. So I want to talk in mothering about the distinction between fathering and mothering because mm -hmm. many mothers are fathers. <laughs> Miss Iyanla, that is <laughs> profound. There is a distinction. Well, it cost me two of my children. <sighs> it cost me two of my children to learn that. That I, I wasn't mothered, so I didn't know how to mother. And there's a very divine, profound template to mothering. And so many mothers are caught up paying the rent, buying the food, running to the job until they're great fathers. They're not mothers. Yeah. They're not. And we have so much information. One of the greatest things I, I wish I had known when my children were growing up was their love language. Mm -hmm. Of course, he didn't write anything about love languages until the 80s. And my kids were all born in the 70s. And you know, what I know now is that my son's love language is um, words of affirmation. I did not affirm my son. I directed him. I, I, I you know, criticized him. I chastised I didn't affirm him. And he still today has challenges and issues with his value and worth and getting stuff done. My youngest daughter, who just passed, her um, love language was affection and touch. Mm. Well, I didn't do it. I didn't know how to do it. It wasn't, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I'm trying to cook, clean, do the laundry. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so she left her this life believing that I didn't love her because I didn't love her in the way she could receive it. Now, my middle daughter, her love language was quality time. Now, as a mother, because I was neurotic, I took my kids everywhere. 
No, they they didn't spend the night out. They didn't do play dates. They because I had been sexually abused and violated as a child. That was not going to happen to my kids. Mm-hmm. So I took them everywhere. So while my youngest son went with me and I didn't affirm him, he was miserable. My youngest daughter went with me and I didn't hug her. She was miserable. My middle daughter was happy as a pig in slop. Because <laughs> she got to go everywhere. <laughs> you know, that's all she needed. I didn't have to buy her no gift. I didn't have to say no quality time. She was with me and we were like this. Mm. We were like this. Wow. Yeah. But I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Now I know, you mm. know, and I think in this day and age, it's important for every single mother to know her child's love language. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I want to add, um, I think it's important for children, uh, and this is something that I'm learning now, um, to to learn about our mothers and our fathers as much as they'll oh, give, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Because it, in, it informs who they are and we yeah. can give the yeah. grace that you deserve. Truly, yeah. it's not to say, it, I really believe that it goes both ways. I, I'm, I'm asking my parents difficult questions because I wanna yeah. understand them so that I can understand us and the dynamic yeah. we have and how we can adjust and improve. And, you know, and, and and I know their love languages just like they know mine, but we have to ask difficult questions and give our parents the time and the space to find the words. The words aren't yeah. always readily available. And remember, they're coming from another generation. Yes. So they're coming from another generation, depending upon how old you were, Yes, uh, uh, you know, I, I could never ask my grandmother some of the kids that my, some of the questions that my uh, grandchildren asked me. Yeah. Like when I was telling my children about my days of smoking happy flowers, they were horrified. <laughs> you smoke weed? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but absolutely. And I tell every woman when she crosses 21, learn your mother's story. Mm-hmm. What is your mother? story because that will inform you of your future number one and what's your father's story not when because he's your father your daddy or your dad what was his story when you were still a tadpole in his spine learn his story learn his relationship with his mother his relationship with his father learn those things so that you understand you're not just dealing with your mother or your father you're dealing with human beings who have stories and experiences and memories and challenges and issues yeah mm-hmm. so once you turn dude you got to you got to learn your mother's story yeah i i i'm doing it now i'm still asking questions and yeah. it's been beautiful it's been difficult but it's been beautiful and I'm so grateful for the time. I'm grateful for the time that I get to ask my parents these questions still and that they're willing to try to find the answers. And what I would say to parents, you know, Mm -hmm. who may be listening, tell your children their story. Tell them about your fears. Tell them about your bad behavior. Tell them about your victories. Tell you know Because sometimes we've set it up so that the children don't know, even when they're adults, they don't know how to speak to us. And, you know, we make it, they, you can't ask me that. So parents need to be able to share their stories too, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and and hopefully they can hear it. So I, I want to do that in mothering. I want to give a different concept to mothering because it means more than having a baby. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a major major undertaking. I can't wait for this book. It, I I and I know it'll be right on time. It's it's as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, this is the book we need. This is it. And guess what? Yeah. This book will also help the men that you're called to help. Oh, absolutely. You know, like because yeah, and how they were mother. You know, and I tell women very often, you're making your son your emotional husband. Don't do that. Don't make mm-hmm. him responsible to make you happy, keep you happy, to make you proud, keep you proud. Uh, I did some work many years ago with the NBA and yeah, the NBA and and parents of the young men who were going into the NBA said, he's 20. He don't need to be buying you a house. Let him be 20. Live where you live in right now. You know, uh, because when they make it out, you know, all of those responsibilities go on them. Buy your mama a house, buy your daddy a car. But, 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 but no, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. So. You still have to live your life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you tell me the difference between healing work and growth work? Okay. Growth work means that you're doing certain things, you're being a certain way, uh, you're you're living a certain way and you want to change what you do and how you do it. You know, so you're saving money when you want more or you're, you're doing your business and you want to do it differently. You want to increase it or whatever. So growth work helps you change what you do and how you do it. Healing work changes who you are. Mm. Healing work is about getting into the consciousness how you think about, what you think about, what memories are still in there, what echoes are playing out in your life. Healing work is about really eliminating the ancestral trauma shadows because many of us have them. We have ancestral, genetic, generational uh, trauma shadows and we need to heal those up, but we don't even recognize what they are. Mm. So healing work, is about changing who you are, how you think, how you see yourself, how you be yourself in the world, how you stand for yourself within yourself. And growth work is about changing how you do what you do. Mm, that's good. That's good. Miss Yala, what has been your takeaway from our conversation today? My takeaway is, when remember when I said that I had been playing small, my takeaway is, um, yeah, you're getting, I'm getting bigger, mm-hmm. you know, mothering, awakening 1 million, lifting men up. That's, that's big work. That's really, yeah. really big work. And so to hear myself say it and out loud, it's like, okay, you going to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, my takeaway is that, you know, God will put your heroes in front of you to remind you of who you are. And what you're capable of doing. And, uh, you know, proximity to greatness means something. And yeah. I, I, feel, I feel that um, so deeply um, in my conversation with you. And I um, feel better. 
I feel bigger. I feel stronger. Um, and I feel that everything that you told me today was exactly what I needed to hear and what our audience needs to hear. And I'm so grateful. I'm just, I'm, I'm truly, truly grateful, but my proximity to you will always, um, stay with me. Truly. You know, one of my teachers told me many, many years ago when I started doing my work publicly, he said to me, a master is not one with many students. A master is one who creates many masters. Mm. So want them to be masters. They've got to, if they want, if you want them to be masterpieces, they've got to, they've got to imitate the master. So always be mindful of how you show up because you're creating masterpieces. Yes. So that's good. Yeah, good. Thank you so much, Miss Yanla. I just, I love and adore you and I honor you. And I'm so excited for what you have to come. And I will be there, front row and center, supporting you always. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank you for having me and good luck with the podcast. May it grow and grow and grow and bring uh, your beauty and gifts into the planet. Mm. I received that. Thank you so much, Miss Yanla. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. Our managing producer is Fatima Al-Swifi. Shanice Tyndall is our lead producer. Associate producer is Mona Hassan. Jordan Thompson is our marketing coordinator. This episode was mixed by Trin Lightburn. Michelle Baker is our video editor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.